Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Chris Taylor with me. Chris is the founder of Actionable Books. Chris has published over 150 articles, speaks regularly at both public and private events, and has read more businesses than he cares to count. Chris is passionate about taking ideas from books and taking action based on those ideas. Welcome. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Chris. Can you tell our audience what is Actionable Books and how they would use it? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, Actionable Books is designed for the time-starved professional who believes in the importance of the ideas from top business books and staying current, uh, but maybe doesn't have the capacity or time to uh, to read as much as they'd like. And so we've created a, a site and a service where we have over 550 free business book summaries at actionablebooks.com. And then we also have a tool called Actionable Workshops, which is for team leaders that want to bring the learning and ideas from top business books into the workplace and engage their team in conversation around those concepts. So that's our flagship program and uh, how we keep the lights on. So what was the reason for starting Actionable? books. I On your site, I read that you started in 2008, but I also heard 2007. I don't know which one is correct, but I'm sure you'll tell me. <laughs> it's a floating target. It's interesting. You know, back in 2007, I was coming off the heels of, uh, of a failed business venture and I was reading a lot. I was consuming, you know, two or three or four books a week and I was consuming them more for the check mark of saying, yeah, read it and, and moving on to the next one. And I found that I wasn't really doing anything with those books. Um, and then I read this one book in 2007 that really struck a nerve for me. And it was around this idea of uh, the book itself was around this idea of uh, taking out uh, wealthy people, people that had achieved a level of financial success that you aspired to and asking them a series of questions. And, you know, that that's fine. And at the time, I was very focused on the financial side. So I did it. One of the things that I really sort of took away from it was that the book had laid it out so clearly and in so much detail. The book was called uh, The One Minute Millionaire that uh, it was really easy to put into practice. And I was reading all these other fabulous books with great ideas, but they were written at this 20,000 foot level. And so it was difficult to actually take it out of the theoretical and put it into practice. And so I decided in 2007 as totally a passion project that I was going to read a book a week for a year, but not just read that book, but take one idea from each book and uh, write, a, write an article about it. Basically write about my experience of taking that idea out of the book and putting it into practice. And so that's how Actionable Books started. It was a passion project. It was 52 books in 52 weeks around how to apply these ideas. And it started to gain a lot of traction, George, and I started to get a lot of interest from people that were you know, looking to use this type of learning, people that wanted to do it themselves. So let's talk about the traction. Things. How long did it take for it to, 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 take, you know, to, to start to take on and, and people noticing you? So you started in 2008. Was it a matter of weeks, months, years? Um, you know, I started sharing it out with 40 or 50 friends and family and, uh, they shared it. And so we started, we had a couple hundred, you know, sort of diehard, uh, readers within about, I don't know, probably four or five months. Um, and then it wasn't until I went full time with the business in 2009 that we really started to, to grow to the next level. Um, so it was, you know, it's an ongoing process. There are very few Oprah moments, right? Usually it's just a gradual climb. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm so interested in the gradual climb because that's really, in my opinion, is what makes somebody successful uh, in business is to, to be able to manage that gradual climb. So talk about the, the first couple of years. What were some of the early challenges of building actionable books? 
Um, one of the challenges that took me far too long to figure out was, you know, who our audience was and, and how we were monetizing that. Um, you know, that's one of the, the blessings and the curse of having it starting as a side project is that there was no real pressure for it to make money until I focused on it full time. And that's great because it gives you time to play, but it was also not super beneficial from growing the business because I wasn't really putting a lot of focus on identifying who that market was. Um, so that I think is the beginning challenge for any entrepreneur is, you know, who's your market and are you, have you created something that, that matters to those people enough that they're open their wallets for it, for it. So who is the, who is the market and what about, uh, what about traffic and other metrics? Were you looking at those in the first couple of years, like visitors, number of visitors and likes or, you know, I mean, 2008, there, there was Facebook then, although I don't know if there were likes were a big thing then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I would say that I actually spent far too much time uh, focused on on some of those what I now call vanity metrics. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if you have 100,000 visitors a month to your site, that's great. But are they actually people that have any sense of loyalty to you? Or are you just, you know, buying clicks or attracting people with snazzy headlines? And so my focus, particularly in the last couple of years, has been really about the quality of those people. We just cut our, our newsletter list in half um, because we went through and said, who are the people that haven't opened this in the last 12 months? Who are the people that haven't clicked on anything? And we gave them an opportunity to re-opt in, but we cut them from the list because for me, it's much more now about quality over quantity. And I've learned that you don't have to have you know, a million visitors a month in order to run a successful business. Right now, we average probably about 15,000 unique visitors a month, uh, you know, which is certainly way up from where we were when we first started. But it's not anything you know, to write home about, and yet it still allows us to grow a really successful business. So how did you build loyalty? You mentioned that uh, it's a lot more about quality than quantity. What, what do you think require, what do, you, what do we need to do to actually build loyalty with, with our followers? Uh, there's a couple things in there. One is, I mean, just providing exceptional value all the time. Um, I mean, you got to be giving away tons of, you know, content and insights. And we run free webinars and we do the, I mean, we produce 20 summaries a month that are freely available on the site. All my author interviews are free. That, that drives attention and, and traffic um, as a starting point. I think to actually build loyalty, though, um, you need to connect with those people. I mean, you need to find out what makes them tick and give them an opportunity to express that through your, your tools or your offering. I mean, one of the, the smartest things in hindsight that we did was invite other people to write summaries for the site. Um, you know, we don't, we don't pay the people that write the summaries, they're volunteers, but they get a lot out of it from the conversations I have with them in regards to, you know, exposure and traffic to an extent to their own sites. But the biggest thing for them is the, the sense of accomplishment that comes from creating a summary or five or 50 summaries. Um, and so really tapping into that, what are they doing here and how can I provide value to them is the, I mean, the number one key to me for loyalty. And the best way to do that is to talk to them. And I do that every day. I'm talking to people 15 times a day. So you mentioned that you have about 15,000 uh, visitors per month. Where does traffic come from? A lot of it for us, George, comes from Google. Um, we have about 75% of our traffic probably comes from, from Google. And we've because of the number of summaries we have on the site, we've become uh, pretty Google-friendly. Um, the other thing that uh, has helped a lot is uh, referral traffic. I mean, we've made it as easy as we can for partners to syndicate our content or to link to our content through the creation of, you know, widgets. Like we have a bookshelf widget where partners can put that on their site and it automatically updates with our latest summaries. So they always have fresh content. And again, providing value for them drives traffic back to us. So that's been big for us as well. 
at what point did you think that actionable books was more than a passion project uh, for you? What things happened with actionable books that, that told you that, you know, now this is actually a business. This is more than a hobby. Yeah, I I mean, May of 2009 was when I uh, parted ways with the company that I was working for full time. Um, and, it, you know, it was really probably six months prior to that that I started to see the exit signs where, you know, I was just spending so much more time on the business. I was so much more engaged in the business. There was um, growing traffic and also we had a growing revenue stream with our, our small group of clients back then. But uh, enough that it made sense to say, you know what, this is small, but it's worth pursuing and it's something that I believe in. So let's uh, let's jump in full bore. And at what point did actionable books start to make money and, and how did you generate money? Um, so it started to make money in 2009 in the sense of, uh, we were billing clients. Um, we've been, I mean, in the last five years, we've on paper lost money every year because we put it all back into infrastructure development and new content development and, and staffing up and that sort of thing. Um, so it's never been a quote unquote profitable business, but that's not, that hasn't been the point. It's been about the growth and we've been, you know, doubling business every year for the last four years. Um, the, uh, that was the, so I guess that was, you know, the beginning of it. We make money through, um, sales of the actionable workshops, which are these hour long learning modules that team leaders can use to develop themselves and their staff. And then we also have a licensing program for independent consultants where they can leverage our content and our, you know, product as a sales vehicle for themselves. Um, so they, they buy in on an annual basis and that's been, uh, that's been good for us as well. Can you, um, share uh, row results only work environment uh, I, I listened to an interview with you and and um, you know it, that's a big part of your business how do, how does it apply to your business and why do you use that system yeah, sure absolutely so for those not familiar uh, results only work environment or row um, basically puts people in a position employees in a position of being accountable to hitting certain metrics but beyond that, not accountable to any schedule or any uh, timelines that, other than ones they set for themselves. So my team, I have a team of eight, um, and the eight of them are spread across four countries and six time zones. Um, we work uh, fairly independently, but we have a strong, uh, we have a really strong relationship with one another through you know meetings throughout the week. Um, but for us, it's been really important that um, people are able to work on their own time, in their own way, from whatever location makes sense for them. It's something that I believe in very strongly. You know, I'm, I'm you know, speaking to you from Spain right now, George, and uh, I believe in the importance of uh, freedom to pursue the things that are important to you. And, uh, and it would be hypocritical if I didn't extend that to the staff. So it's something that I really believe is important for them and attracts amazing people. Because more and more, the really top talent out there are looking things, looking for things beyond the paycheck. Um, and obviously, you need to pay, pay fair wages and, and, and all that bit. But it's also about what else can they, you know, how else can working for your company benefit their lives? And I believe that giving them the autonomy, the freedom to work when, where, and how they want um, makes a big difference in that. So how long have you been in Spain? And, and I'm asking because you're still running your business, right, from Spain? Absolutely. Yeah, we moved here. My wife and I moved here in September of last year, and uh, we're here until the end of August, so a year. So did you have to make any kind of adjustments as a result of that, or you run your business the same way from Spain as you would from Canada or any other part of the world? 
Yeah, you know, I, I lived in Toronto, big city, um, before coming here, and I was spending a ton of time out at networking events and coffees with potential clients and, you know, just spending a lot of time out of the house in those meetings. And I was concerned that, you know, being away from that, and we're, I mean, we're very remote where we are in Spain. We're, we're not in a big city. Um, and even if we were, I don't speak Spanish very well. Um, but uh, the, so I was concerned that that was going to negatively impact the business. What I have found is that aside from adjusting my, you know, sleeping hours, which is no big deal. My actual quality of work and quantity of output of work has gone up so dramatically by removing the distractions um, of, you know, attending this or, or meeting with that person. And I still keep in touch with all the people that I want to keep in touch with. But I find that I'm not on default going to things every evening. I'm being deliberate in the choices I'm making on who I'm connecting with. And business has grown dramatically as a result. So it just actually made you even more focused than you were. Kind Absolutely. of the opposite of what a lot of people would think uh, initially, yeah. I think. Yeah, That's interesting. Sure. Let's talk mm -hmm. about uh, taking action. Why do you think so many people have trouble with taking action instead of endlessly consuming information? I think consuming information, uh, just like attending networking events by default, is, is easy. I think it's a safe path. I think it's it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm really busy. Look at all the stuff that I'm, I'm consuming and look at all the things I'm going to. Um, and I think that the deliberate action, by definition, starts to eliminate uh, certain other things, you know. Um, and so I think that by making choices and choosing by default, when you choose something, you're, you're not choosing everything else for that time, attention, money, what have you. And I think that the act of choosing can scare people if they don't have a clear sense of what it is that they're working towards. And so one of the things that, uh, as I mentioned, you know, off camera, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book right now that's, that's up for presale. Um, and it's specifically designed around, you know, the deliberate choices that we make as they move towards our own version of an ideal life. And the very first step in that, of course, is defining what an ideal life looks like to you. And I, I don't think there's a lot of opportunity. We're not encouraged in school. We're not encouraged by our families to really define what that ideal life looks like. And so when we define that, then making choices becomes a heck of a lot easier. So it's almost like a lot of people couldn't even tell you what is the perfect life for them because right. we've been kind of conditioned not to even entertain that whole idea. It's about getting a job, you know, going to college, getting a job, buying a house, having children, yep. whatever it is, you know. Yep. And, uh, and it's almost like we killed that part of our brains at some point. <laughs> Yeah, totally agreed. And it's tragic because the people that I see, regardless of what that life looks like for them, the people that I see that are living a life that is important to them and, and means something more than just I'm supposed to do this, they're the people with that, that light in their eyes. You know, you see them like they're, they're engaging, they're energetic. And, you know, I've got one of my best friends is totally set on the house in the suburbs with, you know, three kids or 10 kids and the dog and the whole sort of traditional quote unquote lifestyle. But he chose that intentionally rather than just doing it by default. And that's the difference, right? He's enjoying it because it's something that means something to him. He could have done anything. He wants to do that. And that's what gives it power. Same thing with my wife and I moving to Spain. This is what we wanted to do. And it gives us power and we're, we're better people for it. What, what systems do you have that uh, you could recommend to our audience on, on what actions to take? Because, I mean, there's, actions is, are not always great. It's great to take actions, but how do you select the right action for your business? 
Yeah, great question. So um, a couple things that I do religiously. Um, one is uh, planned reflection time. So at the end of every week for at least an hour, and I try to block off two, I look back at the week that just happened and I look forward to the week ahead. I look at what my objectives were and how I tracked to those, where I wasted time in hindsight, and I may not have known it was a waste of time at the time, and look forward to the next week to say, how do I improve you know, sort of my efficiency on the things that need to get done, my enjoyment and really immersion in the moment on the things that I want to do, how do I carve out the appropriate family time, personal time, all these different pieces. So for me, that planning time each week is really crucial because so much, so many of us go through our days and a year goes by and we haven't really stopped and thought about what we're doing with our days. So that's piece number one. Uh, piece number two, I would say, George, particularly if, if, uh, if your listeners have a team, so if you have employees or, or uh, team members, um, really uh, connecting on a frequency that makes sense around um, the objectives. So uh, we use a model called the Rockefeller Habits, um, which Vern Harnish coined. Uh, he's the guy that started Entrepreneurs Organization. And we use the Rockefeller habits to the letter. We have daily stand-ups, weekly action meetings, monthly rocks meetings, quarterly meetups, um, and an annual event where we, where we really do connect on reviewing what happened in the previous unit of time, whatever the meeting is, and what we're accomplishing in the next unit of time, and how we can support each other in that, what roadblocks we foresee, and really sort of keeping the, the heartbeat of the business in check and knowing where people are at with your team. I think particularly if you're running a business remotely, that's one of the most important things you can do. I mean, your team are your lifeblood of your business and you need to be, you know, supporting them with everything you can and being in tune with what's going on for them. So why do you think it's important to make small changes instead of drastic changes? It's almost like change by evolution instead of revolution. Um, yeah. I mean, is it just the fact that it's overwhelming? You know, if you want, if you can, you know, going from making five hundred thousand dollars to five million dollars instead of from five hundred, let's go to seven fifty or something. Is it just that it's it's overwhelming, or is uh, why do you think that that is the reason? Well, you know, I think it's just take a step back from it. I think it's important to do both. You know, one of the best exercises we did at our last staff session was what we called 10x thinking. And it was around if you were tasked with accomplishing 10 times more than what you're doing right now, what would that look like? And the thing I like about thinking about that, even if you're not planning towards that, is that it forces you into a different headspace. You can't say I'm going to do more of the same, but 10 times more excuse me, of the same, because we just don't have capacity for that. So what would I have to do differently to think on that big, big stage? I think as far as setting out to accomplish goals, though, having that incremental gain gives you something manageable to work towards. It also means that we're not swinging for the fences on everything we do. Um, you know, one of the big things that I had to wrap my head around when I started to grow the team was that I'm no longer responsible just to me. And if we, you know, if we miss our target by 80%, I now have people that, you know, are not going to get paid. And that was a major, you know, motivator for me to find a new model. And so the incremental growth, even if it's aggressive incremental, I mean, growing from 500 to 750 is still a 50% growth, which is great. Um, but it's, it's something that is um, more... Um, visible to people. People can, can appreciate what it would take to get there. And it's something where you can celebrate the wins more regularly as well, which is, which is always a nice thing with the team. I'm very interested in the early lives of business, you know, the first one, two years, uh, and especially the first one year. What is the most important thing for an entrepreneur to do during the first 12 months of being in business, in your opinion? I think there's two halves to the coin on it. 
one, it depends on where you're at financially, like what, how much of a cushion you have. Um, I think irregardless of how much you have in the bank, the first and only priority of an entrepreneur in the early days is to identify that target market and find out what the product is that's going to make sense for that target market and, and validating that through actually making sales and then figure out how to scale. Um, you know, nothing else matters at that point. I mean, no matter how much cash you have in the bank, it's not limitless and it's going to go. I was just talking to a buddy the other day who was working for a, a company that was extremely well-funded from a VC. Um, and three years later they were bankrupt because the, the founder owner just, you know, focused on the toys and focused on building slides in the office and all the things that didn't generate cash flow and they're fun. And as an entrepreneur, particularly a first time entrepreneur, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the fun, um, which is great. But we need to temper that with what are we doing to make this a sustainable business beyond the cushion that we have? Let's not, you know, bury ourselves in a cave and code something or design something or build something and then hope when money's run out that we can sell it. Let's make sure that we're making those incremental gains and we're making progress along the way. So I think that's the biggest piece. What do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? <laughs> ah, you know, I think it depends on the entrepreneur. I know for me, um, it was it was um, designing more things in a vacuum, which I know doesn't sound like a huge waste of time, but it was. I mean, I would be developing things with a, with one of my with my lead coder, and we would be you know having a ton of fun designing this stuff in a vacuum, um, and that was great. But then you'd wake up six months later and realize that what you'd built was shiny and fancy, but nobody wanted it or needed it. And, you know, if you haven't figured out who it is that's going to buy the thing, then why are you building it in the first place? And I think, you know, in the world of tech, it's so easy to just start building something without really answering that business question of who is this for and does it provide enough value that it's a viable business model? Uh, if you could train someone to be a successful entrepreneur, what would be the first thing that you would teach that person? I would teach that person um, to embrace their curiosity. And so what I mean by that is get out there and talk to people and really listen. Don't try to force your agenda on them. Don't talk about how great you are, what your accomplishments were, what your ideas are even. Listen to what they're saying and listen for the pain points and listen for the points of frustration and really dig into that as much as you can to see if you can identify a trend as far as, you know, multiple people are having the same issue or some variation of it. And is there a solution that within your area of expertise or your network, you could develop something that would address that pain point? And I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, George, but if that's not uh, if that's not the first thing on the plate, then all the ideas and dreams in the world don't really turn into a viable business. Let's talk about the learning experience um, or a mistake. What was the biggest mistake that you have made uh, building actionable books? That would be a good learning experience for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. I um I had my first significant sized investor uh, come on boards uh, a few years ago, and it wasn't even a huge amount of money, but he put a hundred grand into the business, and um I took that hundred grand, and it was like I was drunk on money. I started developing so many different things, and all of them, I think, or a lot of them, were probably viable, but I didn't really think through what the true cost was on developing it to the end point and marketing it and selling it and supporting it. And I did basically times 10. And so, you know, the story that I've said is that instead of building $100,000 thing, I built 10% of 10 $1 million things. And that money went fast. And at the end, you know, we, you know, we'd learned some stuff, but we didn't really, we hadn't leveraged 
it nearly as well as we could have. And we were right back where we started. And the most painful part about it was that I had scaled up staff as well. And I had to start laying people off because we just didn't have the cash flow to, to support it long term. So having ups and downs in business is unavoidable. It's more about dealing with those the roller coaster ride. How do you yeah. deal with it? Has it become easier for you since you know 2008 when you started uh, you know, uh, up until now? What advice do you have for other entrepreneurs to deal with, with, the, with the ups and downs? Um, for me personally, and this is not true for everyone, and there's contradictory you know, sort of thoughts on this, but for me personally, there's a really important aspect to maintaining my sanity around knowing that I am pursuing my lifestyle in a way that matters to me along with the business uh, objectives. And, you know, like I moved to Spain and people are like, oh, it must be nice lying on the beach drinking margaritas. And no, uh, you know, I'm working my ass off here. I'm working harder here than I was in Toronto. You know, 16 hour days are a regular thing. But when I take a break, I step outside into this forest wilderness of 150 acres that we're sitting on and I'm relaxed and I'm at peace because this is what I want for myself. I want. I want this. I want to be able to enjoy nature and live in a new country and experience new foods and new cultures. And so pursuing that, even when the business is in a rocky spot, allows me to sort of balance that out and say, okay, I'm still doing everything I can to make this happen. And I'm enjoying my life. I'm happy with my life. If you would start actionable book all over again, would you do anything differently? Um, yeah, I would. I think, you know, it was a great experience for me and I don't, I don't regret it growing it to the point that we have and, and how we did. But I mean, looking back and I'm sure this is true of most entrepreneurs, you know, what we've done in six years, we could probably do now in about 18 months. Um, again, you know, just to repeat myself one more time, I go find that market sooner. I develop a product specifically for them. Um, I would be much more targeted in knowing who it was that I was speaking to and by default who I wasn't speaking to. One of my biggest challenges was being able to say that's actually not our ideal market. Um, because, you know, with any client or with any entrepreneur, rather, especially when you're starting out, especially if you're bootstrapped, anyone with a check is a good client. And that may be true for short-term cash flow, but it's not true for long-term business success or certainly not in my experience. So knowing who to say no to as well as who to pursue, that's what I would have done earlier. What was the best advice you have ever received? When I had my last full-time job near the end of my time there, uh, a gentleman I have a lot of respect for uh, sat me down and I remember I was in his office and he sat me down and he knew what I was doing with actionable books. And, and he said to me, he said, Chris, you're a smart guy. You know, you'll be able to do two things well for a very long time, but you'll never do anything with excellence until you focus on just one thing. And that was the big advice for me. Focus on one thing with excellence. Uh, earlier in the interview, we mentioned a book that you're working on. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited about this. Um, so the book's called Beyond the Picket Fence, Beyond the Picket Fence. And it's specifically talking to people that are looking to create a lifestyle that matters to them, something that actually you know, resonates with them as opposed to the assumed path of, you know, as you were saying, college, mortgage, you know, the whole thing. Um, and again, nothing against that. But the, this book is a wake-up call to encourage people and celebrate the people that are doing it of creating a life on your own terms and um, the freedom and happiness and in many cases financial success that comes along with that. So we're doing a, a really unique approach, George. We're, um, we're selling it via 
a site called Publishizer, Publishizer, um, and it's sort of like a Kickstarter for books. And so up until July 21st, the book's available for pre-sale. Assuming we sell enough copies, then it gets published. And if not, then I go back and figure out why the message didn't resonate and what I can do to make it better next time. So do people need to go to Publishizer uh, for mm-hmm. this, or do you have another site dedicated where they can go and check it out? No, it's through Publishizer. So it's publish and then com. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, ours is there. A couple other ones are there, but ours is called Beyond the Picket Fence. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It uh, okay, should be a fun so book. Everyone go to Publishizer and check out Beyond the Picket Fence. How can people connect with you or find out more about actionable books, Chris? Absolutely. So actionablebooks.com. Uh, my contact info is all over that page, and I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all that. Um, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, it's actionablechris. Chris, thank you very much for coming on Success Harbor to share your story. I, I wish you much success with Actionable Books and also with Beyond the Picket Fence. Check it out on Publishizer, and uh, thank you. Thanks, George. Appreciate it.